Okay, well, today is the Sunday that we call Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday when we remember the Lord Jesus Christ as he made his last journey into Jerusalem to die on the cross for our sins. And uh, as I was preparing the sermon, I decided on the title of the sermon, The Glory Road. And I got a little concerned that uh wondering if somebody else had uh, preached a sermon with that title or whatever. And so I did a Google search for Glory Road, and I came up with three results. Uh, the first result was a 2006 movie titled Glory Road that tells the story of Texas Western basketball team that won the NCAA tournament in 1966. The second result was The Glory Road, the 2005 autobiography of Don Haskins, who was the coach of the Texas Western basketball team. And the third Google result was that both uh, the book and the movie was about telling the rags to riches story of the 1966 Texas Western basketball team who, against all odds, won the NCAA tournament that year against number one, Kentucky, who was coached by the legendary Adolph Rupp. In that game, Kentucky fielded five white players and Texas Western, five black players. Texas Western used creative passing and flashy dunking of the basketball and won the game 72 to 65. Largely because of Texas Western's victory, dunking the basketball was banned in college basketball from 1967 to 1976. And uh, the college game of ba uh, basketball and the professional as well was forever changed. But this sermon, this story today is not about the glory road or a basketball team or a baseball championship or whatever. But uh, we're talking about the glory road, the life story of Jesus. And uh, we so we've titled the sermon, The Glory Road. And uh, we're going to start by, well, I've, I've already forgotten to change the slide, so y'all will forgive me for that. Um, but we're going to be telling the true story of the glory road, the life of Jesus. We're going to read our text for today, John chapter 12, and uh, verses 12 through 16, and then verse 23. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the king of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had 
done these things to him. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And so today, again, speaking on the subject, the glory road, uh, six points. Number one, preview of glory. Number two, plan for glory. Number three, prayer for glory. Number four, prophecy of glory. And number five, path to glory. And then the last point, the last leg of the glory road. And so we're going to start with the preview of glory from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 32, the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. And it says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And so, the preview of glory, and uh, there is an artist's depiction of that event, Jesus being glorified, uh, changed into his pre-incarnate glory. Then we're going to talk about the plan for glory. Uh, this is not something that happened just by accident, but it's something that God had planned for, from eternity. Because the Bible says in many places, but in one particular place in 1 Peter chapter 1, Jesus Christ stood as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So all of these events were not accidental, but they were planned by God step by step. And now Jesus Christ is traveling down that glory road. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 and 53. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And so the journey to Jerusalem uh, this is a map that uh, shows that last journey of Jesus, starting way up uh, at Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee, through the Samaritan village, then back over to uh, the east side of the Jordan, through Jericho, and finally into Bethany, and then into Jerusalem. And uh, so. <clears throat> Jesus said in the past that uh, his time had not yet come. But now, because of God's design and God's plan, it was a present necessity 
for him to go into Jerusalem to face the enemies and uh, to give his life as a ransom, a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. So Jesus timed his entry. Uh, he uh, planned it from eternity. And uh, this was during the Passover season when uh, there would be many multitudes of people there in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, this event happened following a notable miracle in chap John chapter 11, where it tells about the Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And uh, so Jesus had planned this event at this time uh, for so that there would be this huge demonstration by the common people acclaiming him as king and messiah. And he knew that the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees and the scribes uh, would see how the people were claiming him as King and Messiah and their jealousy and their hostility would be raised to such a level that they would be forced to act against him. John 12, 19 says, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And a translation of that would be, your plan to wait until a later date to deal with this Jesus is not working. You thought his popularity would fade away, that the whole affair would just blow over. But look how all the people have gone after him. And so this was no accident, I repeat. And in fact, there was a prophecy of this plan Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7 says, For the Lord God will help me. And of course, this is a prophecy of Jesus, the suffering servant, the Son of God, who would die for the sins of the world. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. This prophecy was fulfilled. In the words of Jesus here, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of, in London, England in the 19th century, preached a sermon uh, based on this scripture. And uh, the title of the sermon was, The Redeemer's Face Set Like a Flint. In the sermon, he considered how severely the steadfast resolve of Jesus was tested. Jesus set his face like a flint. He hardened his face, not in the sense of becoming a hard or angry man, but the sense of having a laser focus and unwavering determination to accomplish the difficult task ahead of him. There are two kinds of courage, impromptu courage, which requires no previous thought, and a planned courage, which sees the difficulty ahead and steadfastly marches toward it. Jesus had this kind of courage. He knew the cross was waiting for him, but still steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In his sermon, Spurgeon emphasized 
how severely the resolve of Jesus was tested, especially during these last days. It was tested by the temptations and offers of Satan. It was te tested by the persuasions of his friends. It was tested by the unworthiness of those for whom he would die. And yes, all of us are sinners, and we do not deserve the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And he knew that, and yet he loved us so much that he was willing to die for us. He was tested by the ease at which he could have backed out had he wished to. He was tested by the taunts of those who mocked him. And finally, he was tested by all the horrors and agony of the cross. Well, y'all excuse me, this... Uh, We're going to talk about the prophecy of the plan. And uh, we've already talked about that, so we'll go to the next slide. And there's Spurgeon. I'm not used to this changing slide business. Uh, prayer for glory. In uh, John chapter 17, verses 1 and 5, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. In verse 5, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And uh, in these verses, Jesus is praying for glory, for his glory to be restored to him the way it was before he was born of that baby in the manger in Bethlehem. And uh, he prayed for glory because of his past. The world says, give me the glory, Father, that was mine before the world was. He prayed for this glory because of his person, who he was. He prayed, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. For you see, Jesus Christ was the son of God, the only begotten son of God. He was the second person of the Holy Trinity. He was the creator of the heavens and the earth. He was possessing of all of the attributes of deity. And so he prayed that God would give him back that glory that he laid aside when he came to earth. And uh, he prayed that because of his perfected work, he would receive that glory. John chapter 17, verse 4 says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And so uh, Jesus had come to earth on a mission, and he had completed that mission. He was ready to make that last final journey into Jerusalem where he would die on the cross. And so he prayed for the Father because of that perfected, finished work that God would give him Restore to him his glory. And then the prophecy of glory. The prophecy is quoted from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 in 
our text today that said, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. And so as Jesus rode that donkey's coat into the city of Jerusalem, he was making a statement. He was claiming that I am the Messiah. And when the multitudes that uh, came out and they were crying Hosanna, they were acclaiming him their Messiah. And Jesus Christ, as they cried out Hosanna, he did not deny or discourage them. They were clearly acclaiming him as their Messiah. And by taking the triumphal entry into Jerusalem at this particular time, during the Passover season, he was declaring to the whole world that the Messiah had finally come. Now, the Jews, unfortunately, were looking for an earthly Messiah, a king to rule over them and free them from Roman bondage. If Jesus had come to be a military Messiah to lead an army against Rome, he would have come riding on a horse. Horses were used in warfare. He enters Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey, an animal associated with peace, not war. He rides into the city triumphantly as the prince of peace. He came not to make peace between the Jews and Rome, but to make peace between God and man. And so the next point, the path to glory. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, gives us this path, the path from heaven to earth, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is the path of the glory road that Jesus traveled when he came to this earth. And he traveled from heaven to earth, became a man like us, so that he could live a perfect life and die on the cross for our sins. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, uh, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he laid aside that glory when he was born in Bethlehem, but he was praying that it might be restored, and he was traveling the path so that that might be restored. And then there was that glory road from Bethlehem to Bethany. And uh, we find the record of that journey of Jesus for three, three and a half years uh, of his public ministry as he lived out the love of God and the power of God and the glory of God uh, in his life and ministry as he uh, taught people as he healed the sick, as he 
raised the dead as he did many other miracles. And uh, this was that path to glory so that he could demonstrate to the world that he was truly God and that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then that last final journey of Jesus from Bethany to Jerusalem. And uh, we won't take time to read the, the scriptures there, but you remember the events in chapter 11. He had raised Lazarus from the dead, and uh, he had stayed in the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And the, there was a feast held in his honor at the home of a man named Simon uh, the leper. And um, during that feast, Mary came and broke open a uh, a very costly, expensive bottle of spikenard of, uh, well, um, oil of spikenard, excuse me. And uh, it was very expensive. We're told it was worth one year's wages. And uh, Mary used that oil to anoint and wipe his feet with her hair. The purpose, Jesus said in verse 7, was for my burial because Mary who had sat at the feet of Jesus she understood perhaps better than anyone else that Jesus had come into the world as the Messiah as the Son of God to die for the sins of the world that he was going to be going to the cross he was going to be buried but that he would be raised from the dead the last leg of that journey as uh, Jesus commanded his two disciples to go find that donkey and her colt and bring them to Jesus, they placed clothes on the donkey. And then Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem. And um, there was huge crowds of people that had come out to meet him. Uh, and uh, as I said earlier, the reason for the crowds was because of the uh, Passover feast. Um, the first crowd was coming from uh, Bethany, where they had uh, come to see Jesus and also to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead, the notable miracle. And uh, so you had that crowd that as Jesus got on the donkey and he started that three, about three-mile journey into uh, Jerusalem, uh, that crowd went with him. And then there was the second crowd. The, the news traveled fast, and uh, they heard that Jesus was coming from Bethany into Jerusalem. And so that second crowd uh, came uh, to meet Jesus, and uh, they were crying out, Hosanna, and they were. Uh, acclaiming him as their Messiah and their king. And uh, just to give you an idea, uh, the Passover season was a time when the city of Jerusalem would be crowded with uh, great multitudes of people. Uh, one year, it was recorded that there were 256,500 lambs sacrificed over the Passover season. If we calculated a minimum of 10 people per lamb, that would make a total of at least 
500,000 people in Jerusalem for the Passover. And so you had these two crowds, and they were coming, and Jesus was making his way into Jerusalem for that final time when he would die on the cross for our sin. And uh, as he went into Jerusalem, the multitude, even though they did not understand who he really was, uh, they were crying out, Hosanna. But a little bit later, the same people who had been crying, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel, they were crying away with him, crucify him, let his blood be upon us and our children. And uh, the final destination of the glory road was for Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. John chapter 12, verse 16 says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. The multitude certainly did understand. The Jews had a long history of misunderstanding who Jesus was. And uh, despite all of the miracles that he did and uh, the other things that confirmed and should have confirmed and proved to them that he was the Messiah, the son of David, and yes, the son of God. So that was at the reason the Jews could not understand was because there were two lines of prophecy running through the Old Testament. One line of prophecy pointed to Christ coming as a servant to die for us. And the other line points to Jesus as the coming king. And of course, that refers, we believe, to the second coming. This was the Messiah the Jews were expecting, this, this king to come and rule over them, to lead them uh, to, to become a great nation and defeat the Roman Empire. And when the people realized Jesus wasn't their kind of Messiah, that he was not going to take over as king, they turned against him. And so, in conclusion, Hosanna meant save now. The Jews of Jesus' day, they were crying out to Jesus to be their earthly Messiah. But for us today, we cry out spontaneously to God for salvation and forgiveness. When we hear the word of God preached and we understand that we are lost, that we're sinners, and that God is a holy God and that God loves us and wants to save us, we cry out spontaneously before him and ask him to come into our hearts and to save us from our sins. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The 20th century version of Hosanna would be, Lord, save me, I'm a sinner.
Jesus traveled that glory road all the way to the cross. The wonderful reality is that when we receive Jesus as our Savior, we travel the glory road with him. A precious scripture that I love is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It tells the story of Jesus walking the glory road. But it also tells the story that when he walked the glory road, we walk it with him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Did you notice that? It was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom the creator of all things, in bringing many sons to glory. One of Paul's favorite expressions in the New Testament in his epistles was that we are in Christ. We are in Jesus. And so when Jesus died on the cross, we were in him. When he rose from the dead, we were in him. When he ascended back to the Father, we were in him. And so we have that blessed hope that we are in the Lord, and that we also are traveling down that glory road. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again in power and in glory. And he's all of those who are in the grave who have received Jesus as their Savior, they will be raised up to meet the Lord in the air. And then you and I who are left here on the earth, we will be caught up. And we will go to meet Jesus as well. And we will live an eternal life of glory, in glory, because of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day that we remember Jesus walking that glory road, going into Jerusalem to die for our sin. Lord, we're unworthy. We don't deserve it. But I pray that if there's a single person under the sound of my voice today that does not know you, has not received Jesus as their personal Savior, that you would, your Holy Spirit would draw them, convict them, and help them to fall on their face and cry out to you and receive you as their personal Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.